Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. Today's sermon for Sunday, March 7th, 2021, is entitled Sin, Not Just the Dots, But the Whole Picture. It's the third installment in our Grounded worship series for Lent, grounding ourselves again in essentials of our faith, what and how we believe. It's a reflection on a reading from 1 John, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to learn more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, or would like to join us for worship some Sunday live via Zoom, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Friends, our scripture reading for today comes from the letters of the early church, from the letter of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Let's listen together to these words and listen with them for a living word from God for us, from 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from Christ and proclaim to you that God is light and in God there is no shadow at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God while we are walking in shadow, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as God's own self is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, God's child, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. Today, as part of our ongoing grounded Lenten worship series, where we're talking about some of the core tenets of our faith, some of what and how we believe, I want to talk about sin and forgiveness, of course, but first and mainly sin. But progressive Christians like us, we tend to get a bad rap among other more conservative Christians, perhaps, when it comes to sin and talking about sin. The general impression is that congregations like ours, we're all just a bunch of New Age feel-gooderies, where anything goes when it comes to sin, particularly open and affirming congregations like ours, who welcome queer folks openly and fully. Well, what could a bunch of softies like us possibly have to say about sin? I want you to know that I take sin seriously. And to show you just how seriously, I want to start off with a quote from a theologian who helped shape my understanding of sin and the consequences of sin from an early age. Father Guido Sarducci 
Now, Father Guido Sarducci was once upon a time the gossip columnist and music critic for the Vatican newspaper, L'Osservatore Romano. It's kind of like a Vatican National Enquirer. And here at this point, I will pause to offer up my own silent prayer for forgiveness. For those of you unfamiliar with his work, Father Guido Sarducci was a character played by actor and comedian Don Novello back in the 1970s on Laugh-In and the Smothers Brothers, and most famously, perhaps, on Saturday Night Live, as well as a series of comedy specials in the 1980s, which is where I encountered him. He would come out on stage dressed in a long black cassock, broad-brimmed black hat, rose-tinted glasses, chain-smoking, and we go on to explain various supposedly Catholic doctrines, like the recently discovered other commandments, like the 14th commandment, he would say, whistle while you work. A lot of people think that's a Walt Disney, but actually Walt Disney stole that, uh, he stole that from God. Or in this case, the doctrine of paying for your sins. Yeah, paying for your sins, it's easy. What you, what you may not know is that each of us, while we're alive, we're getting paid $14.50 a day. It doesn't sound much like, uh, you know, $14.50 a day, but you know, over a period of like a 60, 70, 80 years, uh, it's nothing to sneeze your nose at. And what happens when you die, you know, it's like your soul leaves your body. It's like one of those little bubbles in the 7-Up, you know, it just uh, goes shooting up. And you see yourself going down to this long tunnel. And as you move along, you see your whole life going by, you know, from a, when you was a little baby till the day you die. And then you get to the end and there's God. He knows you're coming. He's a, he's a psychic like that. And then God pays you. $14.50 for every day of your life. And then God shakes your hand. It's real nice. God's a real nice guy. But then you go into the next room. And St. Peter's is sitting there with like an adding machine. And he like goes over the list of all your sins, like, like at a bill. And you pay for your sins. You know, it's like a, a stealing a hubcap is maybe like a $10. Murder, that's like the worst. That's like a million dollars. You know, not to using your turn signal on the highway. I don't know, maybe like three for a dollar. It's a, it's a cheap sin. But, you know, for a lot of people, you know, it can add up uh, $1, $2, $20, you know. It, it just shows, you know, there's a no free lunch, not even a heaven. God forgive me for that accent. But as a kid, I loved that. I didn't really understand it, but I felt I knew that it must be irreverent, that it was supposed to be irreverent, that he was poking fun at something that you just weren't supposed to poke and what 13-year-old doesn't love irreverence? At 13, we are at the height of our irreverent, eye-rolling powers. But even now, so much later in life, I get it. I still laugh, but I laugh because I get it. Because I understand that as comically as he's playing it, that is exactly how so many people understand sin. Or rather, how we understand sins. This is the commonly received and culturally reinforced understanding of sin. The idea that a particular sin, a sinful act, whether stealing a hubcap or, God forbid, murder, 
and in this understanding, sins are always ranked like that, that a sin is a kind of a demerit, a ding on our spiritual record that if we accumulate enough of them over the course of our lifetime will keep us out of heaven once we die and possibly even send us to hell where we will be punished in fire and brimstone for eternity. In this common understanding, this eternal heaven or hell afterlife sorting hat action is really the grand unified point of the doctrine of sin, along with a smaller sideline in keeping us all scared straight, some of us very straight, while we're alive. But I take sin seriously enough to say that's just plain silly and narrow-minded and ultimately unhelpful, ultimately, and here and now. I believe that this persistent, overly personalized focus on the minutia of sin, the dots of sin, one by one, keeps us from seeing the larger picture. And far from the sugary, sweet, everything goes caricature of progressive Christians, I believe the big picture is not so pretty. In fact, it's pretty ugly when we get right down to it. I don't know, maybe it's my Calvinist roots having been raised by, as a Presbyterian where we said those words from Scripture, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us almost every Sunday, or maybe it's just my life experience. But I believe in sin because I have sinned knowingly and unknowingly in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. And I have been sinned against. I believe we human beings are soaking in sin, drowning in sin and the consequences of sin, our own and others' generations of sin. And I believe the entirety of creation is suffering as a result as well. No, I take sin seriously. I just take it too seriously to oversimplify it, to turn it into some sort of cosmic report card that tells me whether or not I have to spend eternity in detention. And while we're at it, what sort of loving God sentences finite mortal beings with our terrible, yes, but finite sins to an infinite amount of pain as a punishment? What loving father and the son goes good cop, bad cop on us to keep, to keep us from getting out of line? Where Jesus says, now, now I know you want to be good and, and you really should because you don't want to get my dad angry. Because when he's angry, whew. I mean, he sent me to die on a cross, didn't he? And I hadn't done anything at all. But geez, Jesus, who made us this way in the first place? If all humanity, if our collective human being is merely an exercise in planned obsolescence, if we are designed to fail and then get punished for failing, that hardly seems fair or just. And I'm not willing to go that route. Not just because it's unfair and the God I believe in is better than that, 
but because it's reductionist and relies overmuch on an oversimplified doctrine of personal responsibility. The idea that every particular sin can be connected dot to dot to one particular sinner directly, and that somewhere some hapless angel is tasked with recording all of our individual sins on some giant flowchart, one per person, graphed as a function of severity versus frequency, so that if you follow the left axis up and the right axis across, you'll eventually end up with the perfect reward or punishment, easy peasy. That just doesn't describe the world I live in the complex world I see on the news every day, the world I hear about as you share your lives with me. Because nothing, nothing about the world, our world, is easy peasy. And certainly not sin. Yes, before you get, before you go off, personal responsibility is important, very it is all too easy to say, the devil made me do it, which is precisely the reason I don't believe in a porting horns, horns and pitchfork devil, by the way. But it's not everything. Personal responsibility is not everything when it comes to sin. It's not even most of it. Just as, for instance, the sin of racism isn't limited to overt, point-in-time racist actions to individual sins, but involves whole histories and systems of sin that go largely unseen if you're only looking for the individual dots. So sin, capital S, is much deeper, wider than my particular merits or demerits. Sin is about our common frailty as much as our faults, our limitations as human beings, our all-too-human tendency as individuals, communities, societies, and cultures to slip out of right alignment, out of right relationship with one another. Not right just because God says it, and, or more likely the church says it, and that settles it, but right because that right relationship fosters abundant living, just and peaceful and compassionate living, not just after life, but right here in the thick of life. And not just for me, but importantly, for all of God's children, for all of God's creation. We believe as Christians that such a right relationship, one might even say righteous relationship, with others and ourselves, reflects on and is, and is a reflection of our right relationship with God. That is the great commandment, Jesus says, on which hang the, all the law and the prophets. Love God as you love your neighbor, as you love yourself. And sin? Sin is everything that is not that which is such a wide target, it can be paradoxically difficult to see. 
So we need more language. We need more metaphors, more ways of talking about sin in order to illuminate our particular blind spots where our favorite sins like to hang out unremarked and unrepented. I promise I won't tell you mine, but rest assured they're there. And so are yours, ours, altogether. Fortunately, our tradition offers us so many more lively metaphors to describe this deeper, wider experience of sin and forgiveness than just the most usual transactional checklist of eternal merits and demerits, as though all life and death is merely a matter of proper accounting. There are so many more ways of thinking about it and talking about it and imagining sin at work in the world and forgiveness. We are held captive to sin, our own and others, and we need to be freed. We are blinded by sin, our own and others, and we need new vision. We are broken down by sin, our own and others, and we need mending. Our lives and our relationships are unhealthy in our sin, our own and others, and we need healing. Our lives and relationships are fractured by sin, our own and others, and we need to be made whole again. We fall short of the goals God has set for us in sin, our own and others, and we need to have our aim renewed We stray from the way of abundant living as a result of our sin, our own and others, and we need to be corrected. We transgress in our sin, our own and others. We cross boundaries to use and abuse one another and the creation around us and even ourselves. We think both too much of ourselves and too little, and we need to be restored to our proper boundaries, our right relationships. We are lost in sin, soaking in it, wandering in it, our own and others, and we need to be saved. And this isn't some design flaw. Neither is it some kind of trick or trap, a dirty trick or a rigged game. This is our life. This is the life God has shared with us in which we are not merely puppets because God has shared this life and shared creative powers with us. We are made in the image of God. Our choices count. They don't just count against us at the end, but at every step along the way. This is the life, the world we are called to co-create with God. Each moment, full of possibility for good and for ill, for sin and redemption. And friends, the good news is, once we take the simplistic idea that hell is hot and forever off the table, the good news is God is rooting for us. God wants us to succeed. God is constantly giving and forgiving us to enable us when we sin, when we stumble, to pick ourselves up, or better and more often, to let others help us up. 
to dust ourselves off and try, try again. What's more, God is not just for us, but God is with us in Jesus. God knows our human faults and frailties from the inside out. Sin is not an academic idea to God. It is a lived reality as it is for us. The hardwood of the cross proves that once and for all and over and over again. And still, God loves us. God may not love everything we do. In fact, let's be clear, God doesn't love everything we do. But God loves us. And despite this so bad, it's funny, so-called doctrine of sin we've been sold, where everything is focused on the individual actions. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us less and nothing we can do to make God love us more. God loves us perfectly from long before the beginning until long past the end, past every end. It's that steadfast love that gives us the peace we need to have the courage to face not just our sins, but our sin in all its messy, more than metaphorical multiplicity, and claim the promise of the writer of 1 John chapter 1 for ourselves today. Friends, if we say we have no sin, or just one kind of sin described one way we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, if we open our eyes and our hearts to a wider and deeper understanding, a graceful understanding of who and how we are in the world, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will move us back into right relationship once more. This is the hard truth and the amazing grace all bundled up together in our world, in our lives, in each of us. This is the hard and amazing gift from God that makes true repentance and true change possible. Thanks be to God. And so, friends, if you have heard the word of God preached here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.